Joining us now, he is the grandson of the great Bobby Jones. Bob Jones IV joins us. Welcome into the golf shop. Good morning, Bob. Hey, guys. Good morning. Thanks for having me in today. Yeah. Yeah, it's always nice. We, we always like to get a little Atlanta feel uh, when the tour championship yeah. is going on down there at the great East Lake. Oh, no doubt. And it's a, it's a great event this week. Got a little bit of rain yesterday, but the course is in superb shape. The players are really good. And, you know, it's funny, about five minutes after the tournament started, all the confusion about the scoring system just totally went away. We were just talking to Rex Hoggard about that, and he said the same thing, Bob. It's just, you know, you just forget about it, and now it's a golf tournament again, right? Exactly. Oh, exactly. And, and, you know, it's just so neat to see. I mean, when you think back, East Lake, when it was built, was one of the longest courses in the country. And you think now about how far these guys hit it, and it becomes really, really amazing how well uh, that golf course has stood up to the test of time. It's really quite remarkable. I've, I've played that golf course quite a bit, Bob. I'm, I'm an Atlanta native, and uh in between the time that the athletic club um, moved out to Duluth, you know, uh -huh. East, East Lake was open to the public for a while. And so I, I got to play that a lot and have since played it since, it, you know, it became what it is now. And what a great test of golf. I mean, it's just fantastic golf course. Well, it is, you know, and it's amazing when you think about it that we don't, we don't stop to think about this enough, I guess, but it's amazing how much American golf has flowed out from East Lake, because when you look at the influence of people like Alexa Sterling and my grandfather, and now, and, and now, I mean, Tom, what Tom Cousins has done with oh, the area, uh, the impact that East Lake has had on golf as a whole. I mean, to be honest, we couldn't even have the new Bobby Jones Golf Course in Atlanta right. if it had not been what East Lake did. And people don't know, Bobby Jones was a is, is a public golf course in in really in really downtown almost, and. Uh, it is. And, and was renovated, and now it's just incredible how good it is. Oh, it's it's a, it's absolutely fun. Bob Cup did the renovation. Right. It was his last project before he died, and it's a reversible nine holes of golf. Uh, it's totally handicap accessible, so, I mean, it's uh, adaptive golf is the thing. We're going to be active with the first tee and with youth, and, I mean, it's just a great experience. How involved in that in that are you, Bob? The Quite whole first, the uh, whole first tee the, thing and all that, yeah. Oh, I've actually been more involved with the golf course Have you? Uh, okay. foundation. Um, I've done work with the first tee in the past, and then years ago when I was uh, when I was first starting as a psychologist, uh, as a sports psychologist, I worked with the uh, East Lake Junior Golf Foundation. Um, I have not worked with the first tee, but that's only because of the limits on my time. Sure, sure. So. So yeah. yeah, so growing up, obviously the grandson of the great Bobby Jones. Uh, you know, what do you remember most about him as a, as a, as being your grandfather? You know, my memories of my grandfather are very they're they're comparatively unusual because my grandfather was physically challenged mm -hmm. my sure. entire life. Right. But uh, the times I remember spending with him are, as I said, are somewhat unusual. It was mainly take helping him in his wheelchair to get him to and from work. Uh, whenever he would be at the house, I would sort of help him, you know, take his cigarette out of his mouth and put it back, give him a drink if he needed one, and then put it back on the table. That didn't always work because I had the attention span of a flea, and I'd put a cigarette in his mouth, and I'd forget about it. And about a couple of minutes later, you'd hear him kind of going, uh, uh, and I'd turn, and he'd have like a two-inch long ash hanging there. And 
I said to him, I would say, oh, I'm sorry, Bob, and he'd go, son, no, that's no problem, that's no problem. Now, can you massage my jaw? A little bit? So, yeah. <laughs> the other thing I did was he had a beautiful platinum ball given to him by the Metropolitan Golf Riders that had four flags in it representing the four courses of the Grand Slam. And uh, when I was three years old, I decided to bring him a present by wrenching those flags out of the ball, <laughs> wires and all. And I brought them to him, and uh, my grandmother was sitting next to him. She turned a shade of white like I'd never seen. My dad got a look on his face that said I had 15 seconds to live and I needed to use them well. And my grandfather just said, oh, son, that's the sweetest thing you could have ever wow. done. Thank you so much. Wow. Now, next time, ask your grandmother first, though, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. What a great story. <laughs> Thank you. That, that is awesome. I mean, you know, you, you didn't get to go play golf with him, uh, you know, and I'm sure that's uh, probably something that uh, you wish you could have gotten to do, um, uh, you know, and, and – was yeah but you know funny enough though he would watch a lot of golf on tv and i had the real honor and i didn't realize it of course at the time of being in the room with him and my father while they were watching a golf tournament and they would just turn the sound down and bub would just talk we called him bub bub would just talk about uh what he was you know what was going on so i i had the advantage of the first 12 years or 14 years of my life having my lead golf announcer being Bobby Jones. Wow. Unbelievable. (laughs) I first met your grandfather, Bob, uh, over at Peachtree Golf Club in 1967. And uh, for people that don't, yeah, uh, and shook his hand and and was able to see him a couple more times before he really got, you know, bad. Uh, It was was bad then, obviously. But um, uh, what a gentleman. Uh, Well, you know, and I'll tell you what. The disease that he had was called syringomyelia, right. and uh, it, he bore it, I think, about as gracefully as he could, but there wasn't much that could really be done about it. Now, you know, one of the things that I'm really proud of, and I hope you don't mind me putting a plug in for it, no. but we've just uh, joined forces with the Chiari and Syringomyelia Foundation, right. and they are now the Bobby Jones CSF. Fantastic. You can find them at bobbyjonescsf.org, and uh, we're really committed to finding a cure for this disease. That is that is great, uh, you know. And uh, I, you know, I, I was reading reading up some stuff this morning. I also understand that uh, you know your your dad, I think, was a member at Augusta National, but you are not. How many times have you actually played out there at Augusta National? Um, I've played there, um, I think, about seven times. And uh, I've always, you know, I've had some friends who've been very gracious to uh, invite me out there to play at times. Um, Yeah, my dad was a member there. He was uh, vice president of the Board of Governors, in fact. And and president in perpetuity. So I don't understand why I don't understand why Bob Jones, the fourth is not a member of Augusta National. I can't get that. I can't wrap my head around that, Bob. You know. There are two things about that. Number one is I don't know that I'm the person to ask about it. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and number two, um, with memberships at the Atlanta Athletic Club, Highlands Country Club in North Carolina, yeah. and Sage Valley, I think I've got I, I've got yeah, a you're doing good. number of clubs in the back. Absolutely. And, and, you and know. some pretty darn good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Did you, ever, did you ever get to talk to your grandfather about the, the creation of the course and, and the, some of the nuances? No, not so much him. My father and I would discuss it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I developed any interest at all in Augusta National, um, my grandfather by that time, this would have been somewhere around 1968 and 1969. Mm-hmm. And by the time he got to that point, um, we, had, we had other things to talk about right. than a golf course, any golf course mm-hmm. for that matter. 
And um, because, I mean, by that time, his health was really starting to fail him. But I did speak with my dad quite a bit about it. And, you know, dad and I would walk around the golf course and he would show me uh, like different areas where Bub had intended a course to play, uh, how he wanted the holes to play, um, and what were some of the thoughts that went into their, to their design. Um, I think the thing that's the most amazing is even with all the lengthening that has gone on is how much those shot values have remained the same. They have. That's right. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's interesting. I mean, that's one of the one of the few golf courses I think in in the in the world that's able to stand up to the the length and um, the the way that the game has morphed over the years. Obviously, with a few minor changes here and there, it seems like that something's always being changed out at that golf course. But you know, for for you growing up, I mean, did you feel the pressure of of going out and stepping out on a on a on a first tee of of being the grandson of Bobby Jones? Oh. No question. Sure. No question about it. In fact, it made it very, very difficult yes. in a lot of ways. I to the point that. that when I was a young man, uh, the pressure of being Bobby Jones's grandson and bearing the name of all the men, the, the same name as all those wonderful men that have held it before, was just almost more than I could bear. And, uh, and, and I don't think I bore it particularly well. But, you know, as I've gotten older, uh, it's actually become quite a blessing for me. Mm. And it's really given me the opportunity to uh, meet a lot of people I wouldn't otherwise meet, to be able to share things of importance to me that I would not otherwise have a platform in which to do it, um, and, uh, and, and frankly, to play some really nice golf courses. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, in my later years, I'm 62 now, it's just become a great thing. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Sam Saunders on the PGA Tour have uh, have to deal with the fact that Arnold Palmer is his grandfather. I mean, did your did your dad talk to you about the pressure at all growing up? Well, he made it very yes, and my father, I think, lived under a heck of a lot more pressure than yeah. I did with it. But you know, they also made it very clear to me. Um, I mean, it's very strange because it's not many people have to deal with things like this, but especially in the world of golf, there are ways I was expected to behave. Uh, and that, for example, one time when I went to Augusta uh, for the Masters, I put on a pair of long trousers and a golf shirt to go watch the tournament. And I remember saying to my, my parents, I said, you know, I don't know why the other members' kids get to wear shorts and I don't. <laughs> and dad and mom looked at me and said, that's because their name isn't Robert Tyre Jones. <laughs> and it made it very, very, that got it, that got the point across yeah, very that, clearly. You know, I, I don't think Gary Nicholas, Jack Nicholas, and Stevie Nicholas are any different though, Bob, uh, you no. know, the, the pressure is just immense. I'm sure. It absolutely, it absolutely is. And, but you know what, as, as again, I think that they will probably find, as I have, that as you get older, it becomes much, much more of a joy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, obviously when you are a, a, a junior golfer and you're going out to tee it up, I mean, we know no matter what the error is, there's there's always pressure. There's always things that kids are going to say. There's always discussions going on. And you know that the that you're expected to, you know, not only act a certain way, but to be able to play a certain way, which to an extent is unfair. I mean, obviously there's, there's some fairness that goes along with it because you've, you've had the ability to, uh, you know, be the grandson of one of the great players of all time. And there, there might be an expectation that some of that has passed down through generations, which doesn't well, necessarily you know, work that way. Well, you know, the nice thing, 
thing is, when you look at my grandfather, at his peak, his handicap was calculated to be at something like plus 7 or plus 8. My father, at his peak, his handicap was plus 3. When you look at mine, right now, my my handicap is right at around 8 or 9. So when you really can check it carefully, it's, it's you can see very clearly that the gene pool dilutes over time. <laughs> so there you go. I don't think you have enough time to practice, Bob. I think that's the reason for that, not not because it's diluting as time goes on. Do you play? Do, how much do you get to that. play, though, Bob? How, how much? How much golf are you playing? I play about I play about once a week. Okay. Uh, and then I'll try to get out and hit practice balls once or twice on top of that. And then I do some stretches every day because you know as you get older, it's much much more important to stay flexible. Yes. And and you don't realize how much you lose as mm-hmm. you get older. That's right. So, uh, and you can't fight it, but you can slow it down. Actually, Bob, I'm the other way around. I think for me, uh, at this point, I, I actually play better when I'm not quite as flexible because the more flexible I get, the longer my swing gets, and I get I way, the, way more out of whack. I was the same way when I was a kid. I used to play my best golf. Uh, in the early spring and in about mid-fall because my swing was just shorter because it was colder. Right. You get in the summertime, and it was kind of like putting a WD-40 on my joints. <laughs> so, Wait, yeah. well, now, do you end up psychoanalyzing your game as you're out there playing now? Not when I'm playing, no, but I've been known to psychoanalyze myself pretty well. I had actually a friend of mine at the athletic club who came up to me after I finished my doctorate, and he said, you know, Bob, now that you're a psychologist, I'm really scared that you're analyzing me. And I looked at him, and I said, I am analyzing you, Bill, and it's not pretty. And then we went out and played. <laughs> I always ask psychologists, who do you talk to? Because after talking to crazy people all day long, you got to have somebody to talk to. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I don't. It's, I'm very, very fortunate, and maybe it's just a perspective thing. Oftentimes the way I view my work as a psychologist is whether it's as a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. or my work as a sports psychologist. Okay. What I like to think of myself doing is I've got people who are coming to me with a lot of abilities, and generally they've just got a couple of little blockages that are standing in the way of them doing what it is that they can do. Mm. And my job, as I see it, is to kind of help them get those blocks out of the way so that they can go ahead and function, whether it's in their life or on the golf course or in the office or wherever, uh, to the best of their ability. Mm. So I, I'm, that's, that's the approach that I tend to take okay. uh, in both as a sports psychologist and a clinical psychologist. Interesting. Mm, interesting. Well, Bob, man, we really appreciate you taking some time out to talk to us. It was uh, great talking to you. Uh, have a great time f- following the rest of the tournament down there this week. Hey, guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure, and hello to all my friends in the Carolinas. Thank you, Bob. Thanks a lot.